you'll never not get me interested in E-Trade Baby ad. I love them. Um, so, uh, so you have, so you have a chance if you choose to run for office at some point in the future. You don't like dogs, but you do like babies. I yeah, of course, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't not like dogs. I just don't want to have one. I don't mind. I don't. I, I wish there were lower percentage of people, certainly in New York City, that had dogs. But you know, we'll talk about that at another time. Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes humorous, and yes, even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. David, let's get right to it. We had a great weekend uh, of football. Um, I think that game lived up to the hype, unlike so many other Super Bowls in the past have not. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it certainly was. It was a very compelling game, and I think both teams actually played pretty well. Um, the you know Eagles defense just not being able to make a, a stop when necessary. Obviously, a controversial call at the end of the game. But let's think about it from a, a, a business standpoint and also talk about our predictions. First of all, congratulations to you. You were right. You picked the Chiefs. I think that the, the moral here is, is that it might take a couple of years, but eventually you get predictions right because you had you had <laughs> talked about the Chiefs winning um, last year uh, as well. But congratulations on that. I was wrong. I had the Eagles. But we did both get the Gronkowski pick right. Uh, we nailed that one. Um, unlike, unlike Gronk, who did not. Unlike Gronk, unlike Gronk. We both picked that he would miss it, and he did. We can talk about that one a little later. But listen, the numbers were great. 113 million viewers. Um, on the preliminary numbers, uh, I have not had a chance to see if the uh, finals came out today, um, but it was a it was a solid Super Bowl. Um, yeah, best uh, since 2015 in terms of right, viewership. Right. So um, uh, about 100 averaging 112 million in English and nearly a million uh, on the Spanish language broadcast. So all very solid. Not surprisingly, Kansas City led all markets, but they lead all markets every week it seems in terms of local rating with the 52. Um, which was actually down um, uh, from when the uh, uh, Chiefs played against the Bucks, um, and down also from uh, uh, from 2020 when they beat the 49ers. So that was kind of interesting. I mean, given how great this team is and how much that market supports, that it would be down. But you know what? The reality is, is that from a rating standpoint, it's hard to go on those numbers, which is why it's important to look at the total uh, viewership. Philly yeah. did strong as well. Do you, uh, um, number two. Yeah. I'm sorry. Do you happen to know what the share was? It was 52 rating. Do you happen to know what the share was in Kansas City? Yeah, it might be the only time that uh, share was um, was uh, over 100. Uh, <laughs> percent <laughs> Share being the number uh, of TVs uh, of those that are on that actually tuned in, which is a number that you don't necessarily talk about quite as much as we used to back in the day, Tim. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I mean, obviously, it, you know, who wouldn't be watching that? I mean, just a great moment for the team um, and both cities. And, and listen, I think I think the Eagles really. They were impressive in the way they dealt with this, um, uh, certainly the coach uh, and certain certainly Jalen Hurts in, in a very disappointing loss. But, you know, certainly uh, a game that they can be proud of. Interesting. Uh, you know, you and I are almost old enough to remember that wonderful uh, year of 1969 where the Mets, the Knicks, and the Jets all won championships in New York City over the span of 14 months or 15 months, whatever it is. Philadelphia, unfortunately, has the distinction of, to this point, losing three championships in the last nine months, right? The Phillies lost the World Series. Um, the Philadelphia Union lost in MLS Cup, and now the Eagles losing in the Super Bowl. Um, you, as well as our loyal listeners, know that I am a diehard Jet fan. Um, I would envy to be a fan of any one of those teams to get to the point where they had the opportunity to even lose a championship game. I, right. I, I bring it up not to knock or disparage Philadelphia sports. I just found it interesting that, all three of those teams were on the cusp of winning their respective leagues, and unfortunately, none of them did. 
Yeah, it's been a hell of a time to be a Philadelphia sports fan, uh, I think, just because, you know, the, the teams in some respects are overachieving. Um, uh, you know, and the, and the Sixers are not quite at the top of the league right now, but they've been impressive uh, uh, of late. So, you know, a lot to be excited about in that team. And, and as I said, I think the Eagles have a lot to be proud of in that. And one of the great things about it is I think the two best teams made it to the Super Bowl. Um, that's the way it should be. And, you know, the Chiefs are something special. There's no doubt about uh, that uh, they built a great organization with a great coach, with a, with a signature player um, to build around in Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but just, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, these smaller market teams and something we spoke about with Mark Donovan when he was on about what they have to do to maintain relevance, continue to drive revenue. Well, winning Super Bowls certainly goes a long way in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, I read a, a sports reporter that said, or, or one of the guys on one of the, the 18 hours of pregame show before the Super Bowl said, Patrick Mahomes can basically throw around a corner, right? I mean, his, his right. ability to release the ball from any angle at any, any point on the field is pretty amazing. Yeah. Unique, unique talent, unique personality. It'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, does he hit a point of being overly saturated uh, from a marketing standpoint, endorsement standpoint? He seems to have managed that pretty well to date. Uh, obviously, the ubiquitous uh, state farm ad that he's part of. Um, so he's, you know, he's the face of the he's the face of the league. Let's just say what it is here. Yeah. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on the halftime show. It did pretty well, too. It drew an average of 118.7 million viewers across both English and Spanish. The most watched Super Bowl halftime show since who? Katy Perry. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, really, really right. Really right. Shark <laughs> was the draw for that particular oh, yeah. halftime show. I, I don't know if it was Katie. But anyway, uh, listen, I am no longer, nor have I been the target audience for the halftime show for a long, long time. I appreciate talent. Um, I was fortunate enough when, in my role at Singular to have worked with Rihanna when she was a young and up and coming artist. So look at you uh, dropping the Rihanna name right now. That is, that might well, be the best one yet. Well, it's, it's true. Um, I know, we did work, we did work, we did work with her. And interestingly, she was underage. So we were, we had her performing in a bar in Indianapolis and she had to, uh, she had to stay in her RV out outside, come on stage, perform, and then go back out to the RV to conduct meet and greets and things like that. So um, I have a special place in my heart for her. That's, not necessarily, you know, my type of music generally. I thought she was a, she was an incredible performer. Let's also keep in fact that she's pregnant, right? So, doing a 13-minute show while suspended in midair um, while carrying a child. Um, kudos to her. But I do yeah. know that, unfortunately, I think you're always going to have this polarization around the the, the halftime performer, um, right. and this one became particularly uh, political, shall we say, which is unfortunate, right? You don't like an artist, don't watch it, right? Leave the room, take the dog for a walk, do something else. You don't, you know, not yeah. everything warrants um, outrage on social yeah. media. Yeah, we've just gotten to the point where where people feel it is their, because it is their right, certainly, to voice their opinion. And we have the technology for people to voice those opinions. But that seems to be what people just would prefer to do. That's how they want to spend their time is just, you know, uh, kind of screaming online, I guess. So uh, to be expected, um, you know, I was bragging when they were doing the Walter Payton uh, Man of the Year Award that one of the first assignments I had when I broke into the business was writing a remarks at a KFC press conference for a charity program that they were doing. Um, and uh, I had to deliver them to him and get his feedback and so forth on him. And I was bragging about that. And here you come out and you know, talk about an <laughs> underage Rihanna <laughs> encounter and uh, program. So well, whatever, uh, whatever you do, don't use that clip underage, right? Underage, underage yeah. Rihanna and Nicole. Dope, we right? won't. Yeah, we will. We will not. We will not put the, it'll be in the podcast, but we will. I will avoid putting it out in a. Uh, uh, in a in a video clip, I promise yes, you that. I please, think. let's retain the context. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you uh, think of the show? 
I th I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, at first I was going, gosh, I was trying to debate whether she was really singing. Obviously, she was pumping in tracks, but I do think that she was. Um, it was a pretty singular show, right? Her and this just absolute you know army of dancers. Uh, but the, the but the choreography and what it took to put all that together and the visual effects that it created. Um, I had someone, one of my work colleagues, uh, sending photos back from the game, and and it was just looked unbelievable on site. Um, and we were seeing it with all those angles, so so it seemed just as cool to uh, you know from the from the stadium itself, which I think is always a bit of a, a yeah. challenge. Are you designing this for the television audience or in person? Yeah. So uh, I, I yeah, it was pretty spectacular. I think uh, the one thing that I have heard is that people would like to see a country artist, a true country artist, right? People are like, ah, oh, Carrie Underwood, she's a pop artist in guise of a of a country artist. But I, I consider her a country artist. But, you know, th there's not that many artists of that stature left out there to take on the Super Bowl halftime show, which has become this behemoth. Well, Chris Stapleton did the national anthem. Incredibly moving rendition. And it was it was awesome. It was fantastic. I actually don't listen to country, you know, that much. Um, but I like him, and I think he's a good writer, and I think he's a good performer, and seems like he has some interesting collaborations. Um, but that was a really impressive uh, national anthem performance. So uh, hats off. Um, you know, for, listen, the, ca the casting of this thing is always a challenge. It had an interesting sponsor this year in Apple Music. I think we all expected that to maybe be even more of a factor in the show. It didn't seem to be. That was a little surprising to me. The branding was understated on all yeah. of the promos before Rihanna came out. It was, I, I, I'm i sure it went through massive numbers of creative approvals and things like that. I, I would have thought the branding would have been more front and center for Apple Music. But right. maybe that's just the... The brand ethos of Apple Music. Yeah, yeah, I was a little surprised at that as well. I want to talk a, a little bit before we welcome a guest in about commercials? Anything that stood out to you that you either liked or disliked? In general, I thought the there weren't a tremendous number of great spots. Right, I do think that uh, the farmer's dog commercial was not my favorite, but it did win in the ad meter. Um, I thought it was a really touching. Uh, spot. I actually thought the Amazon spot um, featuring the dogs was even was even better. Uh, my favorite spot, and it didn't uh, it didn't poll particularly well, was uh, premature electrification for Ram trucks. I thought that was a very clever premise. I thought it was well executed. Um, I thought some of the really bad ones. I thought anything uh, with Caddyshack was bad. Um, and perhaps that's because I'm a Caddyshack purist. Um, and my gosh, the the Eminem ad was just historically bad. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, what they did was they then ran a follow-up ad, but it was so far removed from the initial spot, it sort of lost its its juice, if you will, yeah. clam juice in this case. <laughs> yeah, that was that that was so bizarre. I know they were playing off of that whole. Uh, and PR thing that they had been working, and it, it seemed a little odd to me. I thought the two, I mean, they were two farm-related, dog-related ads, very emotional. Farmer's Dog and Amazon, the title of that ad was called Saving Sawyer, um, were effective in their regard. Now, it, I, what I will also say is it absolutely just led me to um, uh, feel very good about the position I take, which I have no interest in having a dog. Um, <laughs> but that wasn't what the ad was for. So obviously there are a lot of people more and more, it seems, that are dog lovers. I mean, a couple others that I like, there's there's nothing that will ever turn me away from the E-Trade baby ads. I don't care what really? they can, they can do I, any, they can, it was nowhere near as good as their original thank ones. Thank you, but I'm, yeah, thank no, you. I mean, the one with the guy in the, in the, uh, in the clubhouse, in the, you know, in the locker room at the club, yeah. you know, talking about Shankalopolis or whatever that was. <laughs> I mean, Shankopotamus, that was, <laughs> nothing will ever top that or when he was in the crib, but, You'll never not get me interested in E-Trade Baby ad. I love them. Um, uh, so, so you have, so you have 
a chance if you choose to run for office at some point in the future. You don't like dogs, but you do like babies. I yeah, of course, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't not like dogs. I just don't want to have one. I don't mind. I don't. I, I wish there were lower percentage of people. Certainly in New York City, that had dogs. But you know, we'll talk about that at another time. Huh. Um, I I really we talked about that. A B normally brings it. I, I didn't think this was their. Uh, this was their necessarily their A stuff. The one, the one thing I got a chuckle about was for the Bush Light um, spot that actually with Sarah McLaughlin being able to poke fun at herself. Yes, yes. Um, I thought that was okay. Um, I think you mentioned this in a tweet, but I didn't mind the TurboTax safety dance one. I mean, I thought it was a good use of the song. Um, uh, but I'll tell you no. what, yeah. Uh, um, a couple misses for me. I, I thought, I mean, where was Serena? like going with that script that ended up for an ad with Remy Martin. I get the idea of a setup and you talk philosophy and brand and things like that and then hit with the with the brand at the end. But I thought that that seemed ridiculous to me. Yeah, um, I agree. I like yeah. the Mr. Peanut spot, the roast with the roast master <laughs> general, right. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Ross. Right, <laughs> right. Um, that one had some it had some pretty good writing on that. Uh, listen, I thought I thought FanDuel's whole program was good until the actual execution and i thought it was a complete i thought it was i don't even want to say mediocre at best i think it was i think the execution just jumping to it felt uh felt intrusive it felt odd i didn't know where it was going they tried to squeeze something in um and it wasn't just that he missed it because i expected him to miss it it was just a weird execution and as you guess they just gave away the money anyway yeah it was just completely um anticlimactic yeah like they broke to to the commercial, they they should have paid the extra money to have a lead or a live read in or something, yeah. but it just it just fell completely flat. For and, me. and then lastly, and we don't tend to speak religion on this show, but Jesus dropped some big bucks on this Super Bowl. <laughs> I I I had I had no problem with those ads. <laughs> I I didn't I I don't think. Um, it was going to convert anybody who is not a practicing Christian. Um, it may have antagonized or ticked off people who are not Christians. I can't say I didn't speak to anyone. I don't know. So if you're watching this or excuse me, listening to this and you have a, a thought on, uh, on that as somebody who's not a practicing Christian, I would love to hear your thoughts. Personally, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't find it offensive. Um, I, I do think that one of the best um, criticisms I heard was for the money that was spent on those ads. Um, there could have been a lot of work done, um, you know, to help social issues, right? Which is, you know, the 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 you know the crux of Jesus's teachings, right, and his acts. So. Well, listen, there's we could talk about ads all day and we have fun doing it, but it's time to take a break. We have our guests calling in uh, and we're going to be back here in a minute. It's time for our guest. So we have been very fortunate on the show to have serious leaders in the sports industry join us in the Sports Biz Chat. And we have another one today. Jessica Gelman has been a force in the use of analytics in sports as the CEO of the Craft Analytics Group. Jessica leads a company focused on helping sports and entertainment companies do analytics right. Jessica also co-founded and continues to co-chair the highly regarded MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, the first and largest analytically focused sports conference. Also a 40 under 40 winner, which is probably the only thing that we have any similarity on because you also were a star <laughs> athlete at Harvard, double degrees from Harvard, um, Harvard Female Athlete of the Year, um, and I can go on and on, but I will end there and just say, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to rock today. All right. Valentine's Day. Oh, should I not have said what day it was? No, that's <laughs> no. fine. We we actually can do that and because we publish on that day. We were recording this on Valentine's Day. I guess we should have spent some more time on the upfront part of the show talking about Valentine's Day and our special Valentine's. <laughs> so, um, but we didn't. So. Um, let's go ahead and get started. Now, in its 17th year, the MIT Sloan Sports Analytic Conference, it's become one of the most important annual events on the entire sports business calendar. Take us back, if you could, and, uh, and give us a look at, at how this all came together and uh, you know, kind of how you've moved it into the position that it is now. 
For sure. So Daryl Morey, who is the other co-founder of the conference, he is the president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, he and I were teaching a class at MIT Sloan, and that was really our, our give back. And it was all focused on analytics. He was doing more on the, the team performance side. I was more on the business side. And he was at the Celtics at the time, and I was uh, with the Patriots at the time. And he ended up, uh, you know, getting this little job in Houston to become the general manager. And he was really the first official analytics hire to kind of run the whole thing on the team side. And so uh, he was getting ready to leave Boston. We really loved the interactivity with the students and trying to help drive and promote the use of analytics across the industry. And so we were actually at the Women's Final Four, which was in Boston in, in 2006. We were grabbing a drink after the finals and we're just kind of talking and said, hey, maybe we should turn this into like a conference. We already are inviting people in to speak in the class and we could use the students to help us, um, who, who we know, to help us put it together. So uh, that was in April or of, of 2006. We didn't really think about much of it for another four or five months. And then we we engaged with the students and spun up the first conference in, in about four and a half months. And it was it was pretty small in the first year, maybe like 125 people. It was all disjointed on the MIT Sloan campus. And uh, it was one day event, probably... Um, you know, we had a keynote. We didn't have panels running concurrently like we do today. And then it kind of just took on a life of its own. And, and the primary reason for that is, I think, analytics as a thing, not only in sports, but broadly within business and at large, became something that people were very interested in. We partnered really early on, maybe the second year with ESPN, who was about to start the what they call SIG, their stats and information group. And they started supporting the conference at first, not as a as a partner, but just to video all of the panels. So ESPN started filming our videos of the panels in the second or third year of the conference, which is really important because we have always a big focus is access to the conference. So we have always provided the panels for uh, for free, uh, you know, as quickly as possible, usually within two weeks after the conference for learning professors started using the panels in their classes. And that again, started to promote understanding and learning. Um, and then the, and then it just kind of snowballed uh, in a way that was very organic. Uh, and it became, it moved from a one day event really into, it's almost like a festival. Uh, it's two days. There are often four or five things going on concurrently, panels, presentations, competitions, this year we'll have a pickleball tournament among other oh, no. fun <laughs> activities. Yep. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's really fun. Um, you know, because of the, the impact of the students, the students turn over every year, which is like great in terms of new ideas and challenging because we have a lot of um, intellect and know-how walk out the door every year. <laughs> um, but I think there's a great energy that comes with, um, with students and, and they, they really uh, run all of the day-to-day -day of the conference and Daryl and I are advising and, and helping them with the process. So that was a long description, but it was very organic, I guess is what I would say. So as a follow-up to that, so you go back to the beginning of the conference, right? You said your, your partner, Daryl Morley, who's obviously very well known in the sports industry, um, was the first hire, um, somebody who is really a, a data and analytics guy. Um, what percentage would you say of sports properties at that point were using data analytics in their decision-making process? And compare that to today, where I would assume it's close to 100%, right? Well, so let me just say that there's really two parts of analytics. There's the application on the team performance side, which is the side that Daryl is on. And then mm -hmm. there's the application on the business customer side, which is obviously the side that 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 I am on. And so I would say on the, and, and by the way, it really varies by league. So when we, when we developed the conference, baseball was, you know, was the league that, and they still are out in front. 
uh, but probably only a, a portion, maybe 50% of the teams were doing analytics in some form or fashion. It was all of the rest of the sports. I mean, Daryl really brought bat, like the analytics to basketball. Dean Oliver was already doing it with the Nuggets at the time. Um, you know, we had we had like the early, early adopters, but we were probably less than 10%, even within the NBA. So I would say like net net, if you think across the major professional leagues on the team side, probably in the 10% range, but the level of what we were talking about in terms of analytics, I mean, today you're tracking player movements. You can see things around their health. I mean, this whole concept of, of the movements and tracking that didn't exist. There wasn't, the NBA hadn't yet invested in all of the stadiums or all of the arenas having that tracking across the league. So the efforts were very manual, you know, in 2007, 2008. And then on the business side, again, I was in on the business side. The amount of data that was available on a personalized nature was very limited. Uh, Facebook was, I mean, about to be launched in 2007. Uh, Google had been launched. Amazon, I think, was only still selling books. So the ways and the marketing and usage of ticket pricing, we didn't have variable, let alone dynamic. The secondary maybe existed, but we we're probably still having the brokers <laughs> who are, you buy from on game day. So it was a very different time from a technology perspective. And so it wasn't just that it was a small percentage of teams and organizations and leagues and, and even industry players that were using it, people weren't capturing data to be harnessed, to grow either side of the sport, you know, either the game or the fan experience. And so I think it was probably, you know, in the 10 to 15% range on both sides. I would say today, now again, the definition of sports has evolved massively. You know, we do track um, the teams from across the, from the major leagues that come. Um, so, you know, obviously the NBA is at like a hundred percent these days, the baseball is interesting because we, we conflict with spring training. So, you know, we're, we'll get more than half. Um, but like major league baseball and the NHL both have full scale events for analytics folks the day before the conference in Boston. Um, and so then, and then the, and then the team side, oh, so that, sorry, on, on the performance side, but now what we're seeing is all of these other sports. Like volleyball is huge. Obviously, soccer came on a few years ago. I mean, pickleball, we're going to have a panel this year, as I already uh, alluded to. But the the depth and I guess I would say span of sports has increased significantly. But the data sets still aren't there for a lot of these up and coming sports. And then on the business side, you know, it's it's similar in nature where, I mean, what's fascinating from from our perspective is now we have uh, you know, gambling data, which is not necessarily available to the masses um, or to teams, but this is a, a, a 15 states, I think, will have it legal by or have it legal today. We have the secondary market and open distribution. So knowing all of the people who are coming to your games, we probably are at like 70% versus pre-pandemic before so many teams had adopted um, mobile ticketing, we were probably at less than 35%. So the amount of information and the technology to support it has massively increased, even in just the last three years. But I would still say the adoption is very focused in particular parts of the business on the business side. So, you know, ticketing, usually the revenue generating sides of the business. We have some of the more advanced organizations will be doing stuff on on the operations of the stadium or it or, um, you know, employee management or, you know, sponsorship is a big area of focus for many folks today, but that's all kind of still coming. So in the grand scale, most teams are doing something. The level of sophistication varies widely. Right. Um, the conference is just a couple of weeks away. We mentioned before we started recording that uh, it sold out. Congrats on that already. Thank you. Um, so what can those attendees, besides what I imagine is going to be a killer pickleball tournament, um, <laughs> expect from this conference? And I, I do need to say we have a bit of a running thing about pickleball in this show. We don't need to spend time doing doing it. But it seems like a pickleball tournament at the conference is a perfect pickleball thing. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on. What can what can attendees uh, expect out of this conference? What do you what do you bring into them? Maybe fresh and new and so forth. 
Yeah, so I mean, we have the the panels, which tend to be the industry leaders really talking about um, what they're doing that's changing the industry. And then we have a lot of innovation. That's the presentations. Um, and then the hackathon and startup competition. We have 20, uh, 20 startups that will be involved. There's a number of a number of organizations that were founded out of the Sloan Conference or were, quote, found. Second Spectrum won our research paper competition twice, as an example. But for this year, I mean, we'll have our normal analytic panels on the performance side, baseball analytics, basketball analytics, all hockey. Um, the, the panels that I'm really excited about on that side of the house, I'm very excited. We have a performance under pressure panel that Michael Lewis is moderating with Sue Bird and brad stevens and so this is something that's really near and dear to my heart it's it is both a mental component um and, and performance and to me this is a real new frontier or it's something i've been interested in for a long time but the concept actually came out of a podcast that daryl and i did with michael lewis um in the fall and so to bring that to life and have um, a high performer at the end of games with sue and then you have someone like brad stevens who had so much success both as a college coach and then with the Celtics and then now putting the team together and the right personalities. And, and is, I think it'll just be a really great uh, discussion. And this is something that Michael Lewis has a tremendous amount of interest in as well. Um, the, the other, the other panels, I mean, we all, all have, a, we have a common set of business panels that we will often do around fan innovation, which I'm very excited about, but a couple other things we are going to do. Uh, we do have a panel on AI and machine learning. And the application of it just to sports, um, we're going to have a focus, obviously, on sports media, which is very significant. Very excited about our chess panel this year. We like to nerd out a little bit. We have uh, um, Hikura Nakamura, who's sixth in the world and a grandmaster. He's won the U.S. championship five times. We expect him to draw. We're, we're, we're also will throw in a couple of other kind of concepts that are net new um, endurance is something that we think is a really interesting topic. So we'll have that as, as a panel. And then, um, you know, the two other panels that I'm very excited about, one is called Player Power. And um, that's with Michael Rubin and DeMarie Smith and Tamika Tremblay, the NBA PA um, executive director. So we're gonna have two of the leagues and then obviously Fanatics and what Michael Rubin has built. This concept of the, the player, and interacting and creating, um, you know, more equality and equity, I think is something that's really, we're seeing in a social space, but to see it and how it's playing out on the business side is very, very interesting. And then, and then the other, um, we do have like a sports and society kind of track that we started last year, which is around what I would call data for good. So we had a panel last year that Malcolm Gladwell uh, led on, on transgender. And then we had a Title IX panel um, as well for the 50th anniversary last year. This year, it's really focused on culture and some of the things that we're seeing happen in sports, which, you know, we think are microcosms for what's happening in society at large. And so we have Jess Berman from the NWSL and Johanna Ferries from Activision that will be talking about, you know, some of the obvious challenges, challenges that both of those organizations have been faced with and how they are net moving things forward. And then also, obviously, a huge part of what's happening in sports from a data for good perspective is ensuring that we have diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have three of the leaders from the NFL, MLS, and Major League Baseball who are driving and ensuring DEI and the analytic and data around that to, again, help educate and drive forward change in the industry. So, like a lot of what we did in the early days was very focused on the adoption of analytics. Now it's we're really trying to move it beyond just the adoption to ensuring that there's good diversity across the industry. And this has been a focus of ours, you know, for a really long time. We'll have over 40 percent of our speakers will be uh, women or underrepresented uh, populations, which, as you know, is is far um, over indexes the, the industry at large and how it's how it's represented today. But this is something, you know, I, I, I give a great credit to the students. I mean, it's obviously a huge focus for Daryl and me, too. But but um, I think you'll see that up on the panels too, and and we're excited about that. That's great. You you mentioned Malcolm Gladwell and and Michael mm -hmm. Lewis. Michael Lewis probably doing more than anybody outside the sports industry to bring attention to analytics through Moneyball. 
uh, great book, great movie. But anyway, um, other than, or I should say, besides the, the, the great leaders from within the sports industry, you've attracted people like Michael Lewis, like Malcolm Gladwell, President Barack Obama. Why do you think luminaries such as that are drawn to to appear at your conference um, when they don't have, at least in the case of somebody like President Obama, a direct sort of uh, easy connection that we can see to the sports business? I think everyone can relate to sports. Most of us played it at some point in our life and the lessons that we learned you know, at whatever level of competition we performed uh, carries with us into how I think most of us approach our day to day, whether that's time management, whether that's how to win or how to lose, how to be part of a team. And so obviously with um, President Obama, we know is a huge sports fan um, and has a very analytic orientation and hearing how he thinks and engages and brings everyone in it's like a great coach in many ways and so um sports really can be a microcosm for what's happening in the world at large and we think it's part of our responsibility to help share that thinking and bring it to bear and you know we we are we we love um the interest that that the conference is drawn and i think the Applying analytics to sports often, you know, when I'll do presentations, um, people people love and understand and can see the application of what we're doing with customers because most people are fans or customers to what their day to day is like. So it's relate very relatable. We've always had um, a strong group of people from outside of the industry who come to the conference. So like a pretty interesting one, if you know him, is. Mitch Lasky, who was one of the um, one of the general partners at at Benchmark, you know, he invested in in Stitch and a million and one other very successful companies. But he just had this interest in analytics and learning about it, and you know, ultimately, you know, he, helping him with his investing. But then now he's one of the um, owners of of LAFC, so he was able to connect his passions together, and so. I think that this is um, people have a passion and an interest in it. And so, of course, when we have some of these luminaries come, especially someone like President Obama, it attracts a lot of broader attention uh, to the conference, too, which is great. And I think that's really important um, in terms of accessibility to the conference, in, in terms of people being aware of it. I'll just say like a huge again, a huge emphasis for us is we started a mentorship program five years ago. This year we'll have, we'll have 75 mentees and we really focused on women and black leaders. And we reached out to women's colleges and HBCUs. And, um, you know, we have over 14 different um, schools represented, sorry, 40, 46 schools and 14 companies represented within our mentorship program. And they're, they're, they are, um, you know, uh, connected with an actual mentor someone within the industry. And then we have six months of um, kind of training and educating and getting them comfortable so that if they have an interest in sports, they can transition into it. And Major League Baseball is, is our presenting sponsor. And we also have a grant from the Eugene Lang Foundation. And I think like this is something that we're really committed to and have been, but I think it's, it's a renewed focus. Among other initiatives that we're doing in this space, we'll have our fifth annual uh, women's luncheon this year. Jess Berman is keynoting it. She's the commissioner of the NWSL. And I think, again, we, we want the analytics. Yes, we're going to keep pushing that and helping to expose and drive the adoption. But then also, like, let's let's ensure that we have good representation and diversity and using analytics to support that, too. Well, listen, Jessica, we're going to ask for your support in getting Jessica Berman on the show. We've talked about the NWSL quite a bit on this, and we'd love to chat with her. So you're going to be our person sure. on that. Um, listen, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, we are, too. We are, too. We are too. We'd love to have her on. Um, well, listen, you have a day job as the CEO of uh, the Craft Analytics Group. Talk to us a little about how that company with what you're doing uh, with Kager really fits into the overall uh, sports business ecosystem. Yeah, no, thank you for asking. So we work across all of the major U.S. professional leagues today. 
um, you know, in some cases with the leagues themselves, the NFL is a major uh, partner of ours, as is NASCAR, uh, and then industry players like On Location, the 76ers, the Timberwolves, uh, the Eagles. We have a couple more that we'll be announcing uh, in the next in the next few weeks, which which we're really excited about. But the whole the whole intent of everything that we do is helping our clients understand their customers through data and, and analytics. And the two primary ways that we do that is we're actually a data warehouse. So this is really born out of, we spun out of craft sports and entertainment seven years ago. And it was born out of the challenges that we were facing with harnessing the data, trusting the data, and then the application of it. Um, you know, whether that was personalization, fan segmentation, access to it in a way that was consumable. I had a lot of people spending their time cleaning data and I wanted them applying the data. So that that data warehouse, and then another the other part of our business is strategic consulting, which is again, you know, really focused on do you have um, the right processes to engage the fans? Uh, we've been doing a lot of work with the Timberwolves this past year since um, Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lore, uh, you know, came in as minority investors at least now um, with the path towards majority ownership. But that team out in Minnesota you know, very focused on what, whether it's pricing or customer segmentation or ensuring right customer, right time, right, right product that they're offering and just helping them through that path and with a data first orientation um, or even like, you know, new business lines that folks are, are thinking about going into. Um, two years ago, we did a lot with Ticketmaster, helping them with what their NFTs should be and how should they think about engaging the fans. So kind of the key things is, we're going to help you with the data, with the application of it, and to drive the growth of the business. And, um, you know, it's it's a really fun industry uh, for us to be in. We're growing. We're hiring right now, uh, which, you know, given what's happening in the economy at large is, is exciting for us, <laughs> for sure. So we, before we get to our closing questions, have one other sure. one more question for you. Um, take out your crystal ball and tell <laughs> us how you think uh, the use of data and analytics will evolve over time on both sides of the house, both on the, the competition side and the commercial side of a, of a sports organization. Well, I would just say first, I think it's the very early days on both sides. The data that is available and that is being harnessed, is still it's still being created. I like to think about data access, data management, and then data creation. I think we're we're kind of in the first cycle of that, that effort, then it's the data application. So there's a whole set of net new data that's becoming available on the player side. Um, things around mental health, um, things about culture and how, um, how players are interacting, understanding of the key components of, um, of players that to prevent injuries. These are things that have been happening, but they're just becoming more more advanced and the ability to apply it is growing too and across leagues so i think we'll see more sports adopting it we'll see the cost to actually track that come down significantly and i think with on the on the business side this big challenge of what we're trying to figure out is the, all of these organizations that are supporting and investing and sponsoring sports needing and wanting to see that that it it's engaging fans in the right way beyond these this anonymized approach. That's really where where we're moving to. And as as all of us and especially the younger generations, we're trying to ensure that they're engaged and still want to be watching a full game or that we're changing the product that we're offering to meet fans where they are. Um, in general, I think we're probably about 50% of the teams in the major leagues are doing something it's mostly a lot of it is mostly descriptive we're not doing machine learning we're certainly not doing ai and then if you look at the leagues um, that are smaller that have less of a fan base you know they need to capture those capture those fans so that they engage can engage them and grow them more directly so um i think it's really still early early days there's new fan behaviors being created fan expectations are changing and um, in terms of growth, again, as storage and processing continues to come down, I think we'll be collecting more data. It, and then we, 
finding the people who can actually use it and drive it is is really the key at this point in time. And I think the the learnings from the conference about what is happening is very critical um, for sure. But I think like we're seeing with the students who are in college, um, who are coming out, the sophistication of the technical skills that they have with R or Python is much more advanced even than five years ago. So listen, this has been this has been tremendous, uh, and we're learning a lot about uh, about obviously your history as well as uh, what is going on with the conference. But before we do let you go, there's two questions that we always like to ask mm -hmm. all of our guests, and the first one is: Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start it? You know, I was really lucky. I was very focused on going into sports. Um, I guess technically my my start was I played professional basketball for a year in Israel after college. Um, I think I was I was I know I was kind of burnt out on basketball, but I knew I ultimately wanted to go onto the other side. And I thought that being the product would be something that would be valuable or important. And that has been. Um, and then um when I was at, I, I applied to and went to Harvard Business School with a focus on going into sports. And that was very uncommon at that time. There was only a few folks who were in the sports industry. It was a very different time. Of course, the valuations of teams were in the, you know, maybe hundreds of millions, certainly not multi-billions. Um, um, so I was very focused on that. And I, I did a project during my second year uh, Gillette Stadium was being built. So you talk about like great timing uh, as I was graduating and they picked um, they picked our team. It was a couple of my classmates, uh, one of my best friends who, who I played basketball with in college and then um, a gentleman who was uh, co-president of the Business of Sports Club. After we gave our final presentation, it was a consulting project effectively, which is what I had done after I finished playing basketball. Um, they, they basically pulled me aside and asked me if I was interested in coming to work for them. This is the crafts. Um, and, uh, and that sounded pretty interesting to me. And I waited, it was about three weeks before I graduated. Oh. So I definitely rolled the dice and, you know, the, obviously the role has what I do. I mean, I work for a different company, obviously uh, founded a different company with the crafts, in fact. Um, so definitely like winding path, but I, but I think, you know, very fortunate early on kind of identified that the crafts were thinking differently about sports and sports business. And it would be a great opportunity to kind of continue my learning post business school. And they're so entrepreneurial and such good people that it was, you know, just a really good fit for, for me. And that's why I've been working with them for 21 years. Uh, it's, that's a terrific story. And the lastly, one piece lastly. of advice you might give someone looking to break into the sports industry. Um, I mean, my main thing would be be curious and question the status quo. Uh, the sports industry today is incredibly different than it was, you know, even five years ago. I think I will often say to new people joining Hager that just because it's the way it's done is not the way it should be done. Like help us evolve. And I think like people need to, we talk about like an ownership mentality, like taking ownership. And that means taking ownership for what it is that that you think and being curious and asking questions and recognizing that you can affect change. So that 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 would be my advice. That's great. Listen, uh, Jessica, thank you so much. It's a great discussion. I do wanna make sure that you pass along our thanks to Lauren for helping arrange this. And I gotta give a shout out to our mutual friend, Jessica Mudry uh, for introducing us. I hear she was a mauler thanks, in her Jessica. day too, but I've never actually played with her, but we're, we're going to have to we have, get that accomplished some point. She was. We had a killer backcourt. It was uh, Jess and J Jennifer Rosati who went on to play at UConn. I, I was a year behind them and just, you know, backed them yeah. up. So, and, uh, and, and pretty, I should give out, pretty darn good. yeah, Jess Mudry uh, from Van Wagner Group. So I should shout out the company. So thank you so much for spending yes. the time. Best of luck with the conference. Um, it's such an important part thank of you. the calendar and uh, we look forward to hearing what comes out of it. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you so Jessica. much. Appreciate it. Thank okay. A big, big thanks to Jessica Gelman, the co-founder of the 
MIT Sloan Sports Con Analytics Conference, uh, one of the big, big events uh, every year. Um, and uh, we do want to add that um, the event is available via live stream. Uh, you can go to Sloan Sports Conference uh, to get details or go to their YouTube uh, uh, channel. Uh, and stream the content live, which is just an amazing offering that they make. So uh, well worth people's time to, to check that out. So thanks, yep. big thanks to uh, Jessica. Now's the time of the show. We try to take a quick peek forward. Um, so Tim, what do you have your eye on? Well, you know, we catch our breath from Super Bowl and then we go into, uh, you know, arguably the second biggest weekend of sports in, in the calendar, uh, the Daytona 500 and the NBA All-Star Game. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the Daytona 500. I love I love that race, the Great American Race, um, and uh, that's uh, that's what I've got planned for this weekend. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm certainly uh, expecting uh, to uh, put my eyes on the on the Daytona 500. It is a good weekend. I mean, this is this is why this period of time is just you know the biggest month in a lot of ways for the sports marketing world because just so much uh, is actually uh, uh, going on. Um, so looking forward to that. I do want to give a shout out. Um, I was over in the UK uh, all of uh, last week and uh, we did a lot of work. And, and, and there's a, we have a listener uh, named Peter Julian, PJ, who happens to be the creative uh, chief at the MoneyGram Haas F1 team uh, over uh, in the Banbury shop. And uh, he's the one that uh, was, was pretty much the lead on, on designing the car, working in collaboration with us, uh, which has just, you know, received very, you know, Pretty, pretty universal praise. So we're really excited about that. And I got a time to catch up with him. And he's a big fan of the show. And we appreciate that very much. And he's a fantastic, fantastic designer uh, as well. So I wanted to end the show with giving him a shout out. Um, uh, but it's time to say goodbye on this uh, or uh, 50 55th episode. Um, listen, what a, what a ride we're on, you know, with the kind of guests we're getting. We just want to thank the listeners um, uh, for tuning in and like, like PJ and, and, and so many others uh, that talk to us about the show. It means everything. So keep listening, keep engaging with us, ask us questions on our, on our social channels, watch our videos on YouTube, subscribe to the channels. Uh, we are just super psyched about all of that. And, and thank you so much. So until next week, I'm DP, he's McGee, and we'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.